Amen. Thank you, Robin. Great song, great thought. Good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible. If you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 841. Page 841. It's got a hard black cover. Be near you somewhere in one of those bins. Uh, I enjoyed having Brother Roulette here for uh, revival. Uh, he was a blessing to me, both uh, in his public uh, speaking and in my personal interaction uh, with him, and uh, certainly pray that God would somehow, some way, if he chooses not to intervene and allows that cancer to take Brother Let's voice box, that God would use him some way in his latter days even more than in his former. Um, Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, which means if you're here and you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, there should not be anything or anyone who you worship, reverence, love, or admire more than God our Creator, the God of the Bible. And we have been in a 21-message Sunday morning series on learning of Him to flee from idolatry. Today is the 20th of those 21. And if the Lord tarries and gives me strength to be here, uh, Lord willing, after that, we will flee to some mountains in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Gospel of John. You say, what's that all about? Well, you'll have to show up and find out. Two weeks ago when I spoke last on our Bring a Friend Sunday, uh, we talked about our Creator being good. God is good. To be good, of course, means to be positive in nature, not spoiled or ruined, morally excellent, worthy of respect and virtuous. And God is good. He is not spoiled nor ruined. He is morally excellent. He is worthy of respect. He is perfectly virtuous. And so... We learn that because God is good, anything that is not good, either in our lives or in the world, is not of God. It is from Satan or man. We learn that because God is good, there is a good purpose to everything that God allows to happen. And because God is good, and there is no person who is perfectly good, we learn that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfectly good life, died on the cross for our sins so that we could be made perfectly good in Christ to be able to go to heaven someday. And we not only rejoice in the goodness of God, we challenge ourselves to build more goodness in our own life. I think everybody here would say our world needs more good. Paul said to the Corinthian believers, though there are many that are called gods, there is but one God. In 1 Corinthians 8, and though there is one God, the world of Moses and the Old Testament prophets was filled with many that were called gods. There was a pantheon of gods in Ur of the Chaldees when Abram left for the land God promised him. There were many gods in Canaan when Abram arrived there after leaving the land of his birth. There was a pantheon of gods in Egypt when God sent Moses there to deliver Israel from slavery. There were many gods in the promised land when the Israelites arrived there under Joshua's leadership 40 years later. Many living in Chaldea and Canaan and Egypt sincerely followed and sincerely believed those they called gods, but sincerely believing two plus two is five doesn't make it true any more than believing that Zeus or Dagon, our God, makes them a god. I remind you it is not the sincerity of our belief that makes anything true. It is consistency with the written words of God that makes things true. Neither your sincerity nor mine determine what is true. 
And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose for the Bible is for God to reveal Himself to mankind. You can look at the world around us and see in the beauty of nature and the complexity of biology the fact that there is a creator. Random chance and evolution gives no plausible explanation for all we see in biology. But you can't look at the world around us and know what God is like. If we want to know that God exists, we can see that in the world around us. But if we want to know what God is like, we must look in the Bible. Unfortunately, far too many people don't look in the Bible to learn what Jesus was actually like. They instead create a Jesus of their own imagination and in doing so, pick a biblical name and an idolatrous view of him. Because there are so many beings people claim to be God and because of humanity's prideful tendency to create a God they like, we have spent now, as of today, 20 weeks of messages talking about how God revealed himself to mankind. I want us to learn of him so we can flee from idolatry. One of the deities mentioned in the Bible is Diana of the Ephesians. Her temple in Ephesus was considered to be the third of seven ancient wonders of the world. The Roman goddess Diana was considered by her adherents to be the virgin goddess of the countryside, hunters, the moon, and childbirth. She allegedly turned dark into light. She was usually depicted as a woman with a bow and an arrow, a crown, and a shortened skirt that made her more mobile as a hunter. In fact, when the people of Ephesus were exposed to the one true God under the ministry of Paul and those who traveled with them, many believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there were so many converts to Christianity that the temple of Diana and those who made Images to Diana were hurt economically. And because they were hurt economically, they rioted against the Christians there in Ephesus. And despite the sincerity of the craftsmen who made idols to Diana, and despite the marvelous architecture of her temple, hear me, Diana is a false goddess. She has nothing to do with the countryside, hunters, the moon, childbirth, or turning darkness into light. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus Christ is a faithful Savior because our Creator is a faithful God. If you're able to stand this morning, if you would stand, please, in honor of the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul here says to the believers in the church in Corinth, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, 
Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Thank you, you might be seated. Though much of Christianity in America today has ceased to focus on the local church, the New Testament focus on the church is very clear. Paul wrote nine epistles to seven churches. He wrote four epistles to three church leaders. In fact, the New Testament even very specifically says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Hear me when I say Jesus loves what is going on here today at Bible Baptist Church and anywhere his people are assembled to pray, to sing to the glory of God, to preach and teach the Bible, and to do ministry in Christ's name. And though Christ nourishes and cherishes each assembly of his people, each church has always had issues to one degree or another. In fact, among the churches to whom the Spirit of God moved Paul to write, the most troubled and most disturbed of all the churches to whom he wrote was the church in Corinth. Notice in verse 5, they were knowledgeable. It says that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Notice in verse 7, they were very gifted. He said, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were knowledgeable. They were gifted. They had the correct doctrine on Christ's return. They were not waiting for Antichrist. They were waiting for Jesus Christ. But despite their knowledge, their giftedness, and their right attitude and doctrine about Jesus' return, their assembly was a big mess. They had doctrinal problems, especially as it relates to the sign gift of tongues. They had authority problems. They despised and resisted Paul's apostolic authority over them. They were misusing the Lord's Supper. They overlooked gross immorality among them. And among other things that weren't right in the church, there was a lot of division among them over the personalities and styles of their spiritual leaders. Notice in verse 10, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I of Christ. They were divided over spiritual leaders and their personalities and little differences that they certainly would have had. In fact, in this group of people who said, no, I'm following Paul, and no, I, I'm following Apollos, and no, I'm following Peter. There was even a group who were so spiritually in their own minds, they said, well, I'm of Christ. I, I don't follow any of these guys. I, 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 I don't care that Jesus gave these men to the church to provide leadership for them. Uh, listen, I'm so spiritually minded. I'm not of any of them guys. I'm of Christ, and such was the mess in the church of Corinth. And the Spirit of God was trying to clean up that mess through this epistle. See, God had used Paul to start that church of three to five years before this letter was written. Paul spent 18 months there. To the best of our knowledge, it is the second longest 
that he's spent in any city that we're aware of. And while it may shock those who are uninformed that churches had problems and issues while the apostles still live, the dear churches of the Lord Jesus have always had a spiritual adversary to Christ. The dear churches of the Lord Jesus Christ have always had the flesh and the immaturity and ignorance of saved people to deal with. That has never changed. Problems in the churches are nothing new. Some use those problems to refocus themselves on the Lord Jesus Christ. Others use those same problems as an excuse to stop serving and stop being faithful to the Savior they claim to believe. And it's interesting, but no surprise, as Paul attempts to correct these divisions and false doctrine and immorality and authority problems that they had, that he takes them back to the faithfulness of the God who had saved them in verse 9. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was a faithful God who had saved them and called them into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And though believers around them and the church had plenty of issues, God was still faithful. Every believer who would be faithful to Christ in one of his churches will at times need to keep our commitment to ministry and loving one another because God is faithful though his people are flawed. God is love, God is holy, God is gracious, God is righteous, God is long-suffering, God is good, God is faithful. To be faithful means firm and devoted to a person or cause or idea. To be loyal, to be worthy of trust and faith. A synonym for faithfulness is loyal, constant, dedicated, true, authentic, genuine, steadfast. Thomas Obadiah Chisholm was born in a log cabin in Kentucky in 1866. Though he never attended high school or college, he began teaching in a school at the age of 16. He was saved at the age of 27, working as an associate editor at a hometown paper called The Franklin Favorite. Thomas Chisholm was in bad health his entire life, and he never made more than an average income. He spent the last years of his life in a nursing home. And if you and I were to look at the resume of Thomas Chisholm, we would look at his resume and say, I don't see anything special in his life. In fact, he wrote in a personal letter, and I quote, My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years which has followed me until now. But I must not fail to record the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. By the way, Thomas Chisholm, though his resume does not have anything this world would look on, he did one thing. He wrote the song... Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou wilt forever be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. 
All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Hear me when I say this. You don't have to go to the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Fame of Faith with those who have great deeds who made note in history to find the faithfulness of God. You can go into the lives of everyday believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who would look back over their life and step back and say these simple statements, God has been faithful to me. Here Jeremiah, as he looks through tear-filled eyes at the ruins of the city of Jerusalem and goes back into his mind at the suffering of the Jewish people at the hands of the Babylonians and hear what he concluded about God at that moment. Quote, His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever paused to consider the faithfulness of God? I hope you know God well enough to appreciate his faithfulness. The author of Hebrews said in chapter 10 and verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The psalmist said, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth under the clouds. Psalm 36, 5. The psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Psalm 119, verses 89 and 90. God is love. God is holy. God is gracious. God is righteous. God is just. God is long-suffering. God is good. God is faithful. And what I'd like to do this morning for just a few moments is make some observations and applications of the fact that our Creator is a faithful God. First, please turn up a few pages to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Here's number one. Because the Corinthian believers had not been faithful, people around them knew nothing of the real Jesus. Because Corinthian believers had not been faithful, the people around them knew nothing of the real Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Notice what Paul says to them there. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Though there are no flaws in Jesus or the Bible, God's people have always been flawed. At best, believers are sincerely true to Christ. Many of the believers, though, in Corinth that Paul was addressing, they were not sincere, faithful believers in Jesus who just simply fell short of the glory of God. They were believers in Jesus who were willfully and presumptuously defiant of what Christ wanted them to do in their life and in his church. Their false doctrine, their divisions, and the immorality in the church had not just hurt them in the church, it had hurt the world around them. And though people ought to be looking to the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, everyone, including us here, we allow our heart and our effort in spiritual things to be affected by people we know who claim to be followers of Jesus. 
But this text is not about how their lack of faithfulness hurt followers of Jesus. This text is about how their lack of faithfulness, their bad doctrine, their contentions, their, di- their disagreements with one another their, and all that, it's about how it affected the world around them. He said, I speak to your shame. Some have not the knowledge of God. Their lack of faithfulness hurt the people around them. The world around them was perishing in ignorance of the one true God, and that was a shame on them. Have you ever stopped to think about why God left us here? I mean, American Christianity today, you would think that the purpose of Christianity was worship. Or you would think that the purpose of Christianity was fellowship. Listen, we're going to have worship and fellowship in heaven. That's not why he left us here. Christ's purpose, his first purpose for his church is for us to evangelize our family, our friends, our city, our state, and ultimately the world into which he's placed us. Listen, it was a shame on them as believers that because of their false doctrine, because of their contentions, because of all the immorality among them, because of the way they conducted themselves, the world around them was not aware of the true and living God. The world around them did not know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He came to be born in the virgin womb of Mary, that He lived a sinless life, that He died vicariously on the cross, He shed His blood, He died for our sins, He rose again on the third day, and that He was coming back and their world had no knowledge of that because they were so busy fighting among themselves and living so carelessly as believers in Jesus. Listen, in America, our culture in general does have knowledge that Jesus existed. And because of the Christmas and Easter holiday, they are aware that the Savior was born. They are aware that Jesus died. They are aware that he rose again. But our culture, by and large, is ignorant about what to do with that information. It is not enough to know that information to be saved. The devil knows that information. He believes that information. But what he will never do is do what you're supposed to do with that information and it is our job to make sure that our world knows that they need to repent that they need to admit that they're a guilty sinner in the sight of a holy God they need to understand that Christ died for their sins and it is not enough to know that they need to repent they need to call on the name of the Lord they need to trust Jesus listen it's wonderful to enjoy the fellowship of God's people. I like coming here. I enjoy seeing family and friends. I really do. I look forward to coming. But our first purpose is evangelism. To go with the message of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. To the shame of many American churches, you might go and think that the purpose of the church was politics. To the shame of many American churches, you might go and think the purpose of the church was social activism. You might think, by the way, many Christian people in America conduct themselves, that our behavior and that our dedication to the uh, Lord Jesus Christ in ways that it can be seen by those around us as our testimony didn't matter. Listen. 
Thank God there are thousands of churches who are still focused on evangelism. And you and I, by the grace of God, we need to be sure we're one of them. We need to get the message of Christ out to our community, to our friends, to our family, and we need to be sure that we actually live in a manner that shows we believe that message and that it's important. This morning, regardless of who you are, the first message of a faithful creator to you is this, and I quote Jesus, ye must be born again. So I don't need to be born again. Well, I'm either going to believe you or Jesus. He said, ye must be born again. You don't have to understand the terminology, but you do need to have the personal experience of humbling yourself to call upon Christ to trust Him instead of a church, to trust Him instead of your religious deeds, to trust Him instead of you being better than the next person, to trust Jesus for your eternal life. Have you done that? If not, I can't think of a better time than this morning to turn to the faithful God and call upon the faithful Savior to save you. But it's not just that believers willfully and faithful to Christ hinders people from coming to Christ to be saved. Secondly, turn back a few pages to chapter 10. Secondly, this morning, number two, God is faithful to not allow believers to be tempted above our ability to resist. God is faithful to not allow believers to be tempted above our ability to resist. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And we've talked about this verse a little bit recently on Wednesday nights in our Bible study going through the book of Job. And if you're not familiar with the story, basically God allowed Satan to do things in Job's life that any of us would consider to be that's incredibly terrible and too much. But the fact of the matter is, is as it was not too much for Job, nor too much for Job's wife, or God would not have allowed it. Let me ask you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, do you ever feel like there's no hope in your situation? That in your situation, it is just impossible to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus and do what's right. You know, if you ever feel that way, understand that that's not a good feeling. You should find great comfort in knowing that as a Christian, there is always hope. There is always a path to resist temptation and do what's right. Always. You may feel the temptation to be too strong to resist, but listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if Christ is in your life, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. It is not too strong for you to resist and to do what's right. Now this morning you may feel differently. But I tell you, regardless of how you feel, your situation is not hopeless. You have options that do not involve you choosing to sin against God. There is a way to escape. Because God is faithful. 
Listen, the, the only option is not to quit. It is not to give up on God. It is not to give up being a faithful follower of Jesus. I'm just here to tell you this morning, God is faithful to his children, and he never puts them in situations that are too tough for them. Now listen, if I, if I were to say, lift your hand if you've been in a situation that was incredibly tough, that at the moment you thought was too tough, almost every hand would go up. But if you ask those same people somewhere down the road, they would say, you know what? Somehow, by the grace of God, I made it. Listen, believers may reject God's way of escape from some temptation. Believers may overestimate their spiritual strength instead of fleeing from temptation. But none of our failures to yield to temptation are because of God. Our faithful God always has a plan of escape and a way to overcome the temptations of our life. By the way, that's encouraging to me. And should be to you too. So this morning when you end up in a difficult situation, the first thing you and I need to do as a believer in Jesus is look for God's way of escape, His way to victory, because He is a faithful God. But it's not just that God is faithful to not allow believers to be attempted above that they are able. Lastly, this morning, turn back a few more pages to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Here's number three. Believers need to become more faithful in everything to be more like our faithful God. Believers need to become more faithful in everything to be more like our faithful God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Let a man... So account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. More of it is required in stewards than a man be found faithful. You know, I wonder what would happen if we applied the same standards of faithfulness to our Christian life that we expect in other areas of life. If our car starts one in every three tries, is it a faithful car? If the postman skipped one day a week, is he a faithful mailman? If we don't go to work once or twice a month, are we a faithful employee? If our refrigerator stops working a day or two every now and then, would you say, wow, that's a great refrigerator. It works most of the time. If our water heater gives us a cold, icy shower occasionally, is it faithful? If we skip our gas and electric bill, every once in a while, do you suppose Duke Energy would just say, I ah, don't worry about it. But listen, if you and I fail to be faithful to the Lord, to the church, to the ministry, do you suppose God looks down and says, wow, that's a faithful follower. Listen, we expect faithfulness and reliability from God. We expect faithfulness and reliability from things. And oftentimes we expect faithfulness and reliability from other people. Is it not reasonable that the faithful God might expect effort to be faithful from us? I'll just say it. Amen. A steward is someone who's taking care of something that belongs to someone else. 
Paul here speaks about being a steward of information in verse 1. So let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word mystery as it's used in the New Testament refers to a previously unrevealed truth. When you read something in the New Testament called a mystery, it's something that was not spoken of uh, either in the Old Testament or uh, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit brought many mysteries, previously unrevealed truths, to the apostles' attention and put them in the New Testament. And Paul says, I am a steward of these mysteries. I am a steward of this information that I have been given by God. And it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. A steward takes care of something that belongs to someone else. Did you know that you and I are stewards of our wealth? If you think your wealth is yours, you don't understand everything. Can I just tell you what's going to happen to your wealth when you finish your life here? You came empty-handed, you're leaving empty-handed. We're not just stewards of our wealth, we're stewards of our health and time. Do you realize that not everyone has health who would wish they had health? Do you realize there's people that wish they had time but don't have any time? Now, I'm not talking about you You didn't get up to 10. You watched television for 10 hours, and you're too busy at the end of it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you wish you had time, but your time is up. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of our talents and abilities. And though we like to sort of glory in ourselves because of our talents and abilities, understand the talent and ability you and I have that we worked on and educated and practiced with, understand that came from God. It's not just those things. We're stewards of the truth that our great creator has committed and entrusted to our care. And can I just say, in every area of life, God expects faithfulness. He wants us to handle everything he has entrusted to our care with faithfulness. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Now certainly, after being here this morning, you are aware of the fact that Jehovah, our Creator, is a faithful God. But understanding that our God is a faithful God brings up a good question, and it's simply this. If we have a faithful God and we have a faithful Savior, are we faithful people? The faithful God desires and expects faithfulness. Uh, That includes, but it isn't just what we do with the church. Listen, are you a faithful follower of Jesus? Are you a faithful spouse? Are you a faithful child? Are, are, are you faithful to your children? Are you faithful to your family? Are you faithful to the Lord's church? Are you faithful? There's, these applies to all kinds of areas of our life. Are you a faithful person? I wonder how different our church would be if everybody who said they'd be there faithfully showed. I wonder how much less Miss Cheryl would be stuck in the nursery by someone who, well, you didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> oh, Miss Cheryl will be there. She's faithful. Well, thank God Jesus isn't like that. One of the biggest boxing matches of the 20th century took place on November 25th, 1980, 
It was at the Superdome in New Orleans. It was between Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Roberto Duran had won their previous fight. He was a favorite to win the second one. Uh, at that time, he was 72 wins and one loss. He'd won his last 41 fights. Fight was very close. One or two points separating them and the judges' scorecard. But in the eighth round, Roberto Duran turned to the referee and he said these words, no mas, no more. He quit. He wasn't injured. He wasn't cut. He was frustrated and decided he'd have enough of the difficulty of fighting. Though the AP Associated Press voted him to be the best lightweight fighter of the 20th century, when anyone associated with boxing thinks about the name Roberto Duran, one of the first things that comes to their mind is no mas. People remember the day he quit. Listen, if you haven't ever felt like quitting, you haven't lived long yet. We all feel like quitting sometimes. Quitting our job, quitting our ministry, quitting on our marriage, quitting on life. Some people feel like quitting on God and quitting in His church. And quite frankly, people quit all those things. God is faithful and He desires and enables all of His people to be faithful people if we choose to be that way. Every one of us can be faithful stewards of everything He has given us in life. Let me ask you this morning, you looking for a reason to be faithful or are you looking for an excuse to stop? Most people, sadly, are looking for an excuse, a reason that makes sense to them, to stop doing something they know they should do. Would you repent? See, faithfulness isn't a talent that some have and others do not. Faithfulness is a part of the character that we either choose to build or reject in our life. Faithfulness is the product of a series of choices that we make to be more like our faithful God, to be more like our faithful Savior. Have you decided to build faithfulness into your character? Listen, we live in a culture where there's none. If you have a job, you know what it's like to work with a bunch of people who don't show up in time, who don't show when they said they'd be there, who don't work when, they, when they're there being paid to work. We all know what it's like. We live with it. I'm just here to say as a follower of Jesus, we are not supposed to be that way. It's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. See, if you're a Christian, if a true believer in Jesus, then Christ is in your heart. And I'm sad to say, and even for myself, there have been times that I haven't been faithful to Him. The good news is this. And John said it. First John 1 John 1.9, he said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, because in the end, we are all going to be faithful, or we're going to fail to be faithful. And those who really want to be faithful, we pick back up and we confess our sin to the faithful Savior who forgives us and gives us grace to just get up and keep going. 
fact, my Bible says the just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Hear me when I say this. Jesus Christ is not a reluctant forgiver. He is faithful and just to forgive us when we humbly confess with a repentant heart. In 1961, meteorologist Edward Lawrence developed a computer program to predict weather patterns. He was in a hurry one day, and there was a computer calculation that she was supposed to be .506127. But instead of entering that, he just didn't put in .506. He thought one thousandths of one percent would be irrelevant to his program. He came back later that day to look at the weather pattern that his program had predicted, and it was radically different what he, what he expected just by changing .506127 to .506. He wrote a paper. And he showed in his paper of how a very small change in initial conditions could have a radical change in weather. One of his colleagues who is critical, he basically says, well, if all that's true, the flap of a seagull wing could change weather forever. But the idea just brewed in his head, and in 1972, Lorenz wrote another paper. It was called, Does the Flap of a Butterfly Wing in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? And the idea behind it is that a little change somewhere in the world produces a huge change somewhere else, and it became known as a butterfly effect. I don't put any stock in weather simulators. Uh, I actually think they're part of the problem in the climate change hoax. I do not believe the flap of a butterfly wing can cause a tornado anywhere. But I do believe this. A small change in faithfulness in any of our lives can have a huge impact on someone. I mean, think about the times you came to church and some random person, sometimes a preacher, sometimes a singer, sometimes you talk to, made one statement. And that statement was the statement God spoke to your heart and changed your life. That's the flap of a butterfly wing that would have never flapped if you wouldn't have been there. I do believe this. I believe that the little things that produce faithfulness make a big difference in the people around us. Our God is a faithful God. Jesus Christ is a faithful Savior. And He is looking for those of us to believe, who believe, to be faithful in what we do. Faithful stewards. If you'd quietly stand.